Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak with my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Thanks very much. If you would just join me in praying. Father, we thank you for your word that you speak clearly to us and you you don't want us to have to guess or wonder or sort through uh, mysterious or, or unclear things in order to find who you are, but you want to make it plain, make it plain to us today through your words, through my preaching, Lord, that you want us to be near you and you want us to draw near to you and guide us in the next steps for each one of us here of what that path looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this series where we've been looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus. And uh, this week we're on the second to last one, so we'll wrap up this series next week. And uh, this week we're looking at Jesus' claim, uh, amidst other things that he's talking about, that I am the way and the truth and the life. And we'll talk about in just a minute why the these are so significant within this statement. Now, I think that there are a number of things uh, that are challenging about the season of life, the time of life when you are uh, basically like a, a high school senior or, or college freshman. Um, like 18, 19 years old. But, but among the things that are most challenging in that time of life is this, this sort of massive decision right, of what are you going to do after graduation? Right? Are you going to go to college? If so, what college is that going to be? And then, well, what are you going to study? What are you going to major in? And you know, I think those are some really, really big decisions. And that's one of the reasons why, if you are in that time of life, like those are like the only two questions anyone ever asks you for like two years. Like, what, where are you going to study? Or in what 
what are you going to study? What do you want to focus on? I think part of the reason is, you know, for those of us who are, who are past that, we're just so relieved. We don't have to go through that process again, right? That it's just, it's some relief. You know, we've bumbled our own way through, and at least somebody else, you know, has to suffer through the same things. Um, but you think about why. Why is that decision so difficult, or those decisions? And really, you're asking somebody again, 18, 19 years old, to tell you not only, you know, who do they want to be, right? What do they want to do? Who do they want to be for the next decade of their life, right? But essentially also, how are you going to get there? What steps, what goals, you know, what's the process that you're going to take to reach this, this end goal? I mean, be kind of similar to if you were just to sit down with another adult and say, hey, you know, could you just just sit down and just map out like the next 10 years of your life for me? You know, just really quick, some, some wiggle room there. It just feels insane. It feels like this cruel joke that you would have this already completely mapped out in your life. Right? And that's some of what's going on this this conversation. I mean, if we're if we're honest, right, I mean, that, that level of foresight, most of us as adults, most of us are doing pretty well if we realize, oh yeah, I, I am in fact going to have to eat a meal on Thursday, uh, and so that means I should probably buy groceries earlier for that. We're doing really well if we've got that down, right? And so just this incredible expansiveness, right, of just, of seeing that far ahead is incredibly challenging. And that's some of what's happening there here as Jesus is speaking with Thomas and the disciples. He, he's talking about these future plans that Jesus is about to accomplish and what he's going to do and where he's going to go. And, and then he says in verse 4, which is a, a hidden verse, one of really the most amazing, though, in this whole conversation. He says, you know the way. You know the way to where I'm going. To which statement, Thomas responds, Jesus, we have no clue what you even just said here. We have no idea where you're actually going. You can't possibly expect us to know then how to get to there. And it is to this very refreshing, uh, very positive admission of confusion. It's very good to admit when you are confused, you don't know. And, And Jesus responds well to that. And so he says to, to Thomas's confusion, I am, I am the way and the truth and the life. So the main point from this text or from this I am statement is that Jesus is both the only goal and he is the way to that goal. Jesus is the only goal, and he is the way to that goal. I want to look at three points that Jesus makes throughout this conversation. And the first one, it's actually his statement in verse 1, where he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. The second one, we already just talked about, it's verse 4. You know the way. We're going to think about that. And then the last point is really it's a summation of what Jesus is teaching in verses 8 through 11. 
in these verses, and that's how to hear from God. How do you hear from God? So, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. You know the way and how to hear from God. That's where we're going in this text. So, let's look at this first statement in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I know this is a rare, unusual problem to deal with anxiety or uh, your, your troubled heart, you know, or stress. It's very un- uncommon, but just bear with me. It's in the text, so, you know, hopefully you can find some relevance uh, to your life here. And what I want you to notice right out of the gate is Jesus immediately actually gives us the remedy to anxiety, to stress and worry. It's implied in what comes right after this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled, but what? What comes next? What's the alternative to that? Believe. Believe in me. And I think it's helpful for us to understand this would have been as sort of strange or jarring of an answer to the disciples as it is to us. Because you think about why the disciples' hearts are troubled here. Jesus has just been laying out some really hard, really uncomfortable truths about what is about to happen. And his betrayal, his arrest, his departure. But then he follows all that up by saying, believe in me. Alright, so what do we gain from this? How does this help us? How does this speak to our problems of of anxiety or concern in our lives. Well, think about why is it, why is it that our hearts get troubled? We get worked up, we get anxious. Well, if I start thinking about the things that cause me, tend to cause me stress or anxiety, I, I think probably one of the at least surface reasons is that there are a number of possibilities There are a number even perhaps current realities that are largely outside of my control. And that can feel stressful. But there's also a much deeper reason at play. You are worried, and I am worried, our hearts are troubled because we're trusting in our own performance. Let me say that again. You have anxiety because, deep down, you are tying your worth and your value to your own performance. Think about it. Whatever you are worried about, whatever you are anxious over, there is a certain possibility, there is a certain outcome you want to avoid. And you are worried that your own efforts will not be sufficient to avoid that. Or if that happens, to deal with it. Let's just take these kind of two, some two very quick and broad examples. The disciples here. They hear that Jesus is about to leave them and they start feeling this this heart anxiety, this turmoil. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond to this? How are we going to keep this group together? How are we going to stay on the right track? How are we going to keep living the way that we're supposed to when Jesus isn't around? Right? And so, so that's how they start thinking about this. Let me take another 
example of worry, fairly generic one, money concerns. You got worries over money. You know, typically, the, the questions are, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to manage? How, how are we going to cope? What will our life look like? How will I and, and my family adapt and, and cope? And, and will we have enough to have what we feel like we need? Now, underlying both of those examples, right, the disciples and, and the issue with money, right, there is a self-focus. What am I going to do? Will I be able to have enough? Right? Will I get through? How will I manage? Right? And Jesus' solution, both of the, those are practical questions. We've got to be able to answer those. They're not necessarily bad, but Jesus' solution to this is really believe in me. Believe that Jesus, that I am enough, that I have done everything for you that you will need to do, that I will always give you everything that you need for what you need. So the solution to anxiety, really at the bottom, it's, it's shifting what we're trusting in from our own performance to Jesus and his sufficiency for us. And that's really easy to say. That's pretty hard to do. But let me move on to the second statement. From Jesus. This is where I want to spend most of our time. He says to Thomas, he says to the disciples, and he says to us, You know the way to where I'm going. And the context here, Jesus has just been talking about the fact that he is about to leave and he's going to prepare a place for them with uh, his father. And then he tells them, You know the way. And he follows that up with, I am. The way, and the truth, and the life. Now, there's a couple of things we've got to deal with when it comes to this claim and what it means for us. And I think the biggest one, um, certainly in our time, but I would guess probably in all times, is the issue of exclusivity. The problem of exclusivity. Jesus says that I am the way. The truth and the life. And we've got a big problem with this. It's not just if you're not a Christian. If you are a Christian, you also have a problem with this. Because the reality is, whether you're a Christian or not, none of us like exclusivity. We don't like feeling boxed in and not having options. It feels stifling. It feels constricting. And you've got to keep in mind, this would have felt very restrictive in Jesus' time when he makes the statement. Because if you were a Jew listening to Jesus here, what you wanted him to say was that he was a way. He was a teacher. He offered a different perspective. You could combine and you could work in and, and glean insights and, and combine that with your other teachers and, uh, and use that for you to keep living your Jewish life. And if you were not a Jew, what you really wanted from Jesus was for Jesus to offer another option for, for one more way, additional pathway to success and to favor with God and comfort and security. And so that way, 
you know, you can work this in among the other gods that you are worshiping and honoring. That way, hey, you know, if Zeus isn't working out for you, or, or Mars, or Minerva, they're not seeming to do the job. Well, I've got this Jewish God, and I've got his prophet, and maybe he'll help me out. Maybe he'll, in this situation, respond and, and give me what I need. And really today, we have a similar difficulty with this exclusive claim of Christ in a secular world. Because it is rude, it's arrogant, it is close-minded, it's downright dangerous to have any sort of exclusive truth claim. To, to make some sort of statement that you and you alone know the truth. Right? That, that your truth is the only truth that's correct, that's outrageous. And there has to be multiple avenues, multiple perspectives. There has to be. So that you take your path that works for you, and I, I take my road that, that works for you, and that works for me and makes most sense to me. And as long as you don't impose your beliefs on me, we're all just going to be fine. Now, you know, part of the difficulty with this, and I'm sure many of you have already thought through this, is that that is a self-contradictory perspective. It doesn't hold up because there's no way for truth. You, you can't have a truth that isn't exclusive. That's it, it, just the very nature of what truth is. And so when you claim... There are multiple avenues to the truth, multiple ways of, of living your life in, in a right way, and that everyone's perspective has to be equally valid, equally respected. That is an exclusive truth claim. You are outlawing, you are excluding as untrue anyone who doesn't conform to that, anyone who doesn't think that way and honor this sort of pluralistic, Western, multi-optioned way of living, you're saying, no, now you're just kind of behind the times, get, get a little bit more progressed and, you know, catch up. So there's no way to actually live out of a belief or live your life, really, without a belief that isn't exclusive. That's what it means to have, I mean, most of us understand this, really, instinctively, if we think about it, that to have any belief at all means that you are excluding things that you don't believe, right, that, that are wrong. That's what it means to be able to have a belief. But I think that just like in Jesus' time, for those around him, just today it, as well, it feels more safe. It feels less risky to allow some wiggle room, right? especially when it comes to spiritual matters. And so it feels much better to say, well, you could be right, and I could be right, and, and who really knows? And hey, as long as you're just trying, or as long as we're just trying to be a good person, or as, as you might find it today, like be a nice human. Right? If you do that, then everything's going to work itself out. Of course, smuggled into that are all these definitions of exactly what a nice human is, but you know, we won't get into that. The truth is that that feels safer. Because if I did get it wrong, yeah, that's fine. It's all just going to work out in the end. Right? And we miss the fact that actually that that is a belief in itself. 
to, to believe that it's going to work like that. And Jesus is saying that's wrong. But it's not just non-Christians who struggle with this exclusivity. All right? If you're a Christian here, and you could hear this and say, yes, of course. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I accept that. I, I even memorized that verse. Great. Do you actually live like that? That's the real test. And again, this truth for us from Jesus about exclusivity is incredibly uncomfortable because it really is so risky. Because really what Jesus is telling us is to put all of your eggs in one basket. And none of us really does that. None of us really wants to live like that. And so, more often, if you are a Christian, this is how it works, right? You say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He he is the atonement for me, and and he makes me right with God. He reconciles me with God. So, um, I've got Jesus, and I've got my Jesus way, and that is how I get on my way towards God. And and that looks like reading my Bible, and I go to church, um, or at least I go to church once a month, or something like that, and that keeps me on my track uh, with my God pathway. Well, and then, you know, over here, well, I, I've got my financial goals, and I, I've got my financial pathway, and i got Dave Ramsey, and, you know, I've got my financial planner, my retirement consultant, then they keep me on track on this pathway. Uh, and, you know, over, over here, well, I've got my career goal, and, you know, I've got my mentors, and I'm reading these people. I've got my personal growth plan, uh, and that's how I'm staying on track on, on this road. Uh, over here, well, here I've got my relationship goals, and I've got my relationship road, and, and, and I've got my friends, and my therapist, and uh, my self-help books, right? And, and these are, these are what's, what's helping me stay on track on this road. Uh, and, oh, yeah, I've got, also got my fun goals, and I've got my fun pathway, and, you know, these are, these are the sort of things I want to be doing for fun. And so I've got to track with my friends and, and social media and make sure I'm having the right sort of fun and, and making progress on that road. And so we've got all these different roads going on, and Jesus is one of them. And, you know, the, the answer from Jesus and Christianity is like, hey, you know, stop caring about all of those things. It's not that, right? Stop caring about that. You know, cut off the rest of the world. Uh, cut off your internet connection, get in a room by yourself with a Bible. Now, the, really, you could probably do a lot worse, but that, that's not really the direction. It, what Jesus is trying to say in this claim is that there's really only one goal. Right? There's one thing that we can be worried about. And again, the problem really boils down to trust. We don't trust that following Jesus alone is going to be sufficient to get me to where I want to go in my life in all of these other areas. And so, uh, Jesus is great, but i got to diversify. i gotta, I got to spread myself out. i got to spread out my energies and investments. And so that way, if this road is getting blocked up, or this road isn't going that well, well I've got all these other roads that I'm also making progress. And Jesus is telling us, now forget that. There's one road that's important for you to be making progress on in life. There's one thing you have to know about, and that is your relationship with me. And the answer 
again, isn't to get into more Bible studies necessarily. The answer is to get to know Jesus better. And so that way you start thinking about all of these other goals, which are, which are fine goals, but you start thinking about them in terms of how can I pursue these other things in order to enjoy Jesus more, in order to get more out of Him, in order to share more of Him with other people, because that's where life is really found. Let me go to the last statement that Jesus makes. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. He says, you know the way. And the last thing he tells us uh, is how to hear from God. How do you hear from God? And in the context, or this is really what Philip is asking for. He says, look, Jesus, verse 8, Lord, just show us the Father. And it's enough for us. You've got to be stunned, I think, by Jesus' graciousness and patience in this incident. It might not seem like that because it seems like Jesus is a little bit put out. And he is put out. He says to Philip, look, Philip, I've been with you so long. You still don't know me. Jesus is reaching the end of his life. He's reaching the end of his ministry. And he's been with Philip now for three years. And essentially every day for the past three years, he has been trying to communicate Philip and others, I am God. God the Father is showing himself. He is revealing himself through me. And so it does feel very disrespectful and offensive. It's like, you know, let's say that you were, let's say that you were an ambassador uh, to a foreign country. Let's say India. You're an ambassador to India for the past three years for President Biden. And you know, you're, you've been over there for three years and you've developed this relationship with one of the uh, state officials there. And uh, one time you're just having this conversation with him about America's policy on, on some issue or approach to some policy. And the state official says, okay, just, just stop. Um, you know, that's, that's nice what you're saying, but I, I would just, I just really love to hear from Mr. Biden about this. You know, could you just, could you just get him to talk to me? I'd really just, I I'd just like to hear what he has to say. And, and that would be enough. I'd be incredibly disrespectful and offensive. Jesus, he takes this in stride, he turns this into one more teaching opportunity. He says, Philip, it's me. <laughs> it's, I, I, I'm the one that God has been speaking through. The words that you hear me speaking, the actions that you see me doing, you are actually seeing and hearing from God directly. Now, the point for us is similar. We don't have Jesus physically living with us. But you know, I'll hear from plenty of Christians and non-Christians. I will say myself plenty of times, like, God, if I, could just, if I could just hear from you, if you would just, if you would just speak to me and you would, you would show up and you would tell me, tell me what to do, tell me what I should believe, and I would do it. And really, we're missing the same thing that Philip is missing. 
Jesus has already shown us who God is and what he cares about. That Jesus is speaking to us God's words and, and God's revealed himself in Jesus and in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. Many of you know this. It says what? All Scripture is God-breathed. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that when we come to the Scriptures, we come to the Bible, or you hear God's Word preached, that you are actually seeing and hearing from God as directly as we ever will in this life. Now, I think that the real issue for us, you know, for those of us even who, are, who are trying to live this way, we're trying to follow Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and we want this direction to be able to follow Jesus. I, I think the problem for us is that the Bible doesn't actually speak to us the way we want it to speak to us. So often it doesn't really give us what we're hoping or, or for or what we're expecting. And the difficulty really is that Jesus and the Bible are preeminently God-centered and we are preeminently self-centered. And so the Bible just doesn't give us a lot of times what we want when we come to it. The Bible isn't going to tell you, you, you read it, hey, you know, Jennifer, you, you need to go ahead and become an EMT. That's what God has for you. And it's not going to tell you, hey, Mark, what you need to do, you need to go ahead and marry Jennifer. That's what God has for you. That's not the sort of message the Bible has for us. The Bible is going to be much more about, this is who God is. Look at how awesome God is. Look at how amazing God is. Love Jesus more, and everything else is going to sort itself out. Let me turn, as just we close here, to the question, practically, what difference does this make? If you go back, you boil down this statement right, to Jesus saying, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What difference is it going to make if your life is actually being shaped by that? If you're actually following that? And like I said in the beginning, what this I am statement really means, what, what Jesus is saying is that, Jesus is both the only goal, and he is the way to that goal. In other words, God has made life so that our greatest fulfillment is going to be found in a growing relationship with Jesus. And so we move toward that one goal by growing in our relationship with Jesus. And that means, this is what it means, that we should look at everything else in our lives. Right? What we do, what we say, what we buy, what decisions we make. Right? Is it moving me closer to this one goal? Down farther on this one road? And so, because of, you can see, because of how all-encompassing that means for our lives, there's going to be a lot of ways there's going to be a ton of ways that that makes our lives as Christians or should make our lives look different. But for the sake of time, for the, the sake of simplicity, let me, let me just offer one. That if we as Christians really take hold of, if we really believe and internalize this idea that Jesus is both the only goal 
and he is the way to that goal, it is going to mean that our lives will be marked by increasing clarity and increasing stability. Increasing clarity and increasing stability. And I say increasing because we're all starting in different places here. We're all coming from different places, and there's one road. We're all wanting to move down the same road, and none of us ever reach the end. So we're all on this road. But if we believe this, there is going to be increasing clarity and increasing stability in our lives. Because there is a real simplicity to life if we take hold of this truth. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be any more hard decisions in your life. But you will get faster and faster at remembering what is the ultimate goal. And when all of our lives are shaped by this one ultimate goal, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time there's a new situation or or your life circumstances alter or there's a new opportunity. You don't have to go back to the drawing board and think through, okay, well, well, how do I think about this? What what do I do? What should I be pursuing? Uh, What should I want out of this? It's always the same. It's always this one goal that everything else is serving. And that means that our lives start fluctuating less and less as well. There's more stability in our lives. I don't mean more stability in our circumstances, but within our inner convictions, there is an inner stability increasingly as our compass is more and more just fixed towards Jesus. There's less wavering of that. Now, the promise we get from Jesus is that he's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to leave me alone on this road. He's not going to leave it up to you. That he's going to walk with us. He is going to guide us down this road and bring us along steadily. So that over time, that there are less detours. There's less confusion. There's less fear. There's less uncertainty as Jesus is leading us down this road. Would you just pray with me that he would be increasingly doing that in our lives. Father, we thank you that you do want to make our lives simple and clear and stable and grounded. And you tell us that you are the rock on which we can build our house and build our life so that when when the storms and the wind and the rains and, and everything else in this life beats beats against our life, that we hold firm, not because we're so strong, but because we've built our lives around you. Would you help us to be doing that? Help us to be continually getting back on the one path that's meaningful and life-giving, that's, that's taking us closer to what we're made for. In Jesus' name, amen.